1: Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend and Verisage Institute colleague and co-host Ed Kles. And on today's show, folks, we are live at 90 Minds at their eighth annual meeting of the Minds. <laughs> Well done, guys. They took my cue, Ron. Yeah, no, it's great. You're, you're a live applause sign. I, I love know. it. Okay. <laughs> I could add that to my resume. <laughs> so, Ed, this is great being here. I think this is my second or third time. I was just talking to Jim about it, and I, something like that, that I've been here. To so
2: the so. Meeting of the Minds? Yeah. The yeah. Meeting, yeah, And I'm always reminded, Ron, about the Meeting of the Minds. There, there was that, that Steve Allen thing. you remember this? Yes. Do you guys remember? The, it was on PBS. It was called The Meeting of Minds. There was no the. It was just called Meeting of Minds, and Steve Allen, who was the guy who was Johnny Carson before Johnny Carson and Jack Parr, <laughs> actually, mm-hmm. um, he hosted this the, the Tonight Show. Anyway, he was ma- married to Jane Meadows, I believe, too, and they, they, they did this show on PBS. It was fascinating where what he would do, uh, Steve Allen would write these scripts where they'd have famous people from history come together, and they would like sit over dinner and have this conversation. Right. So you would have, you know, Joan of Arc and Thomas Jefferson and Robespierre and, you know, like <laughs> like the crazy stuff. And it was it, 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 I ju- they were just released, by the way, on YouTube. So if you want to want to, they are fantastic if you want to. Learn stuff. So meeting of minds, and it's a little play on what you guys are doing. So, and, and you have a book of this, right? Yeah, the, the, scripts, the, scripts, the scripts. The scripts are available. You can just read the scripts, and there. I mean, it's genius because what Alan did was, is he actually took the actual writings of all of these people and wove them together in a in a script that made sense.
1: Right. Right. Yeah.
2: So really cool stuff. Anyway, so see so you guys are you know. On on the heels of greatness, the meeting of minds. Now we have the meeting of the minds. minds. All right. Well, just to catch you up, Ron. So I I was out here earlier, and I and I dropped some subscription stuff on him. Right, okay. I dropped yep. the the nine the nine models that we talk we've talked about on previous shows. Yep. Right, uh, talked a little bit about magic and logic, Tim Williams stuff. So this I'm catching up. This is our shorthand. We're like an old married couple. I can give him like five things. He's like, oh yeah, I know what you talked about for an hour. Right, <laughs> uh, and so that, that that was that was pretty cool. And what we'd like to do, and you guys can start queuing up right now, is uh, if you want to ask questions about it. But well, just give your impression because they didn't have a chance to hear from you on this whole subscription thing and why you think this This
1: is incredible. I I, I think the subscription model is incredible because it, it, it does so many different things. But first off, it gets us annual recurring revenue. It truly breaks down silos inside of an organization and puts the customer at the center of everything and it allows us to innovate and constantly delight our customers. I mean, I bet most of you are Prime members on Amazon. Think how Prime just keeps loading you up with different benefits, not just free shipping, but music streaming, and more content, more videos, and and other things. Um, And and I just think that it also moves us away from selling services and scope of work to building a customer lifetime relationship, an annuity, if you will. And and I just think that's liberating on so many different ways, especially for professional firms, because supposedly professional firms are all about the relationship. And this model forces you to do that. And that's what I just love about it.
2: Yeah, there's some really cool stuff. And tell them what you're doing now, too, as your kind of side hustle.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I am working as the chief value officer, so John, we have the same title, Uh, the chief value officer for the 22nd or 23rd, I'm not sure, it keeps changing, um, largest accounting firm in the country, which is Arminino here in uh, California. They're located in San Ramon as their headquarters. And I came on as their CVO last April and revamping them, their pricing strategies, moving them away from the billable hour hopefully getting rid of timesheets at some point as well. But in my mind, Value Pricing 2.0 initiative is is what we're talking about here, the subscription. I right. think this is the next evolution of pricing. Yeah, and I want
2: to mention it because I, I think I talked about it earlier, but there, there I think there's going to be a right way and a wrong way to do this. And certainly you could do subscription model, cost plus, Sure you could. Right? Yep. It would be a disaster, right? right? Because you would completely blow through the actuarial piece. And, and I've had a couple of conversations with people afterwards that, that uh, I, I wish I would have mentioned earlier, so I'll just do it now, is the probably one of the worst things that you can do in this model is to try to gauge profitability per customer.
1: Yep. I, I think that's one of the worst things you can do in almost any business anyway, is trying to gauge profitability per customer, even by product. Um, this this is a whole cost accounting separate issue, and we've done shows on this, but it's it's basically not feasible because cost accounting is not that of an exact of a science. People think it is, but it's not. It absolutely isn't. It's full of guesses and wild assumptions and and created relationships that don't exist mathematically. Um, but what I like about the uh, subscription model is it, it treats the business as a portfolio and you're looking at maximizing or optimizing profit across the portfolio just like you do in your individual investment portfolio whether it's your retirement account or or whatever you're you're not looking at so much profit per transaction you're looking at the overall return across a whole whole portfolio yeah
2: and that and that's really key and the more you try to actually let, nail yourself down and measure that profitability per engagement per job per customer <sighs> the more you're going to fall back on the old way of thinking and Absolutely. it's going to uh, not allow for you to implement this. So what what have been your experiences though, Ron, with this from a, um, from, from Armanino's perspective, you, cause you're, you're just dropping the subscription stuff on them more recently, right? You've been doing value pricing <laughs> and stuff. So how does it going over in the, the siloed
1: world that is accounting firms, right? There's some people who like it and get it and see, and, and can see that this is the future because it does put the customer at the center. But there's others, I think, that are going to have a massive problem with it. So, um, But in, in my mind, the, the analogy I always use, that is is I, I kind of look at all the doctors out there that are moving off the grid and going into a concierge-type medicine or medical practice, or even a direct primary care medical practice, which is usually a little bit more volume, a little cheaper prices than, say, a concierge doctor. but. What they what they basically tell their patients is, look, anything that you need medically that we can do under our roof, and by the way, that is expanding every day. Uh, you're covered for X amount per year, and that could be you, your wife, your kids, and the the services that they're that they're covering could include pharmacology. A lot of them now are dispensing. Prescriptions could be MRI or, or, or PET scans, CAT scans, whatever, because they, they're uh, investing in that equipment. So that capability is expanding, and that changes them from providers of one off services that they're trying nickel and dime for every time they run a test, do a, you know, whatever, to no, hey, whatever you need. We're just, they're they're a self insurance company. And as you always say, Ed, it's far more profitable to be a fire insurance salesman than it is to be a fireman.
2: Yeah, the title of the session earlier. All right, Gary is up at the mic, so bring it on. Thanks for breaking the ice here, Gary. Appreciate it. So I have Get close to the mic. You get really close. I have two questions. Well,
3: okay. Okay, so the first question is more about the comment about not trying to measure customer profitability. Uh So in the. Historical subscription world, um, we were taught that there were like three measures that you should have. Customer lifetime value, customer acquisition costs, and retention rates. So if customer lifetime value is, let's say, passe now... Um, retention is obviously still a good rate because you don't want to lose these customers. What would you say the key measurements are for a business owner to be looking at in a subscription model? So,
2: okay, so that's question 1. Right. Do you want let's give it get the second question okay. so we it, we so, manage time.
3: Yeah, 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 the second question would then be about um you know Armonino is a very, you know, it's a, it's a larger firm and it's it can Um, has some economies of scale. In smaller practices, like um, a lot of the 90 Minds members, in order to have this relationship with these customers, to keep them in the subscription model, it's usually going to have to be the principal or somebody with a lot of experience who has to be the customer engagement manager to really add value to that business. How do you and in order to keep them for a long period of time, you really need to have regular contact with your customers so that you could be providing this value? so how would you recommend that smaller firms balance the need to um, maintain relationships with all of these customers who are now on on su- subscription or retention uh, uh, Programs uh, over the actual doing of the work that so many of these people actually do. Yep, sure, that's great. And
2: we we're, we're going to take our first break at f- fifteen after the hour, on so you've got two minutes or so to answer
1: all that.
3: Oh, no, wow. I'm kidding. I'm
1: <laughs> 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 no, we can take as much time as we want, but let's we can be we can be cognizant of that. So, all right. Well, I would still say the customer lifetime value is still a metric that you can calculate or at least try and calculate. Uh, so, I still think that's important. Other metrics that. Uh, Tian Zhou, who wrote the book, Subscribe, we just had him on the show, and CEO and founder of Zora, the subscription-based software company that kind of helps companies move to this model and does all the backroom accounting, Uh, he suggests recency, when's the last time they visited your site? He also suggests frequency, how often do they visit, and he also suggests volume, like how many articles read, how many movies downloaded, whatever. So I think that you kind of have to come up with your own measurements that kind of correlate with what it is you're offering and and, and measuring how your customers value that. So we're not saying that metrics aren't important. We're just saying, I don't think it can be done by customer, profitability by customer, but there's still other dashboard me- me- metrics and measurements that we can look at. Um, and, and your second question about the smaller companies. Uh, I'll tell you something funny. When I talk to Arminino about this, they're like, oh, well, this would would be a slam dunk in a smaller company, but it's impossible in a firm (laughs) like like ours. We've got over 10,000 clients. There's no way we could do this. So I I don't buy it. I, I think it works for any size company. If Amazon can do it, and if smaller businesses can do it, I mean, there's lots of just boutique companies out there, Ed, that are selling, you know, chocolate of the month or, uh, you know, a surprise gift for your pet, there's wineries, there's small boutique wineries in Napa and Sonoma that don't make much wine, but, you know, they have 200, maybe 50, uh, wine club members and they pamper the heck out of them, surprise them, delight them. I'm a member of one of them. Uh, and so I, I I think it can be done, uh, because look, don't, don't, economies of scale, is overrated. Economies of scale is totally, totally overrated. And this is one of the problems with cost accounting. And I don't want to go down that arg- that road because it gets very wonkish. But to prove to you that economies of scale is overrated, Exhibit A is General Motors. There you go.
2: Well, because General Motors, as I've said this before, is no longer a car company. No. So they're a pension fund that happens to make cars.
1: And their whole focus was market share, market share. let's let's create as many cars as we can because that drives the unit cost down because we're spreading you know our fixed costs over a larger production. Well, the, that's all great in accounting cost accounting theory until you realize, yeah, we made ten million cars, but there's only demand for five million of them. Yeah,
2: big problem. All right, well, we're up against our first break. want to remind you that you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Of course, the website is thesoulofenterprise.com, where you can see show notes from previous shows as well as previews for upcoming shows and a calendar of events where we uh, publish where we're going to be, including here at 90 Mines. All right. But right now, a word from our sponsor. And we are back live with the meeting of the minds in San Diego. Yeah! You guys are so good. Thank you. Well, I just want to riff a little bit on, on Gary's question earlier. And, you know, it's interesting. If you look at the calculation of customer lifetime value and I, how it's actually calculated, and I've got a you can look it up don't, and, and send me an email because I've got a simplified format of it. Because if you, if, if you actually look at it, like on Wikipedia or whatever, oh, it's, uh, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's like derivatives, complex, it, like, no, it, there's a much simpler way to do it. But what's interesting is that you don't, there's no, there's no cost. When you ca- yeah. when you calculate customer lifetime value, you're not you don't factor in costs at all because it's actually what you're trying to do is get what is what is the possibility and probability of this customer being a repeat customer of yours over a long period of time, and it has absolutely nothing to do with your cost. So you don't need cost per customer to calculate customer lifetime value, right? Because what you're really looking at is at churn rate and stuff like that. Now. One of the things I I think is important on that is that whole notion of recency and frequency of purchase, right, or interaction, because I think that's the, the, like I said, the the last visit. We definitely want to encourage that. Um, One thing I will say about any kind of metrics in this new world, and this is probably true of the old world too, we just didn't realize it, is the easier it is to measure something, the less useful the measurement, right, right? The easier it is to measure something, the less useful it really is, right? Because true, true, true measurements, or true metrics, I should say, and Ron, if we want to say something about the difference between metrics, well, I'll just say, there, there is a difference, I should be careful, between a measurement and a metric. A measurement is, is objective, right? Uh, it, uh, measuring the length of this table, the temperature of this room, right? The lumens, uh, luminosity of the lights, those are, those are measurements, right? Metrics are either one of two things. They are either judgments that we're making, so let's say net promoter score, right? Net promoter score is not a measurement. It's a judgment, right? It's the judgment that's being made, and it's not. A, so it's therefore a metric, right? A metric is also something that can be calculated by taking two or more measurements and comparing them, and that becomes another metric right? So that's different from measurement. So I think one of the things that we, we need to learn is that the, is really the metric, the easier it is for a metric to be calculated or, or, or um, implemented probably the least useful it is and the most famous example of course and it's a t- horrible one is body count in the vietnam war right right yeah, i mean honestly that was it was it was a terrible thing and even mcnamara admitted it later he said because all of this did this did was create more Viet Cong, because it was a it, the, it, yes if you kill one vc you got one dead vc but if you kill the family of the vc you get 10 more vc for each of the people that you kill Right, so it was, and it was a trying to roll things up to the top in an easy measurement or metric that was actually the cause of some of the debacles that we saw because they were looking at the wrong, the wrong thing. So, Phil. So. and Jerry, you're up at the mic. So take it away. Hey, thanks.
0: Um, I, I wanted uh, to to see if we could explore a little bit more the idea of the actuarial, the insurance element of dealing with uh, for people like us, the professional services providers. Where some part of the value priced products that we have um, have no, I mean, it really, it's really not much in terms of a marginal cost. I know you hate the term, but I mean, the idea we don't have to do anything extra for the stuff is just kind of there sure. going on. Whereas some of this stuff that we do, is additional work, is it, a, you know, so so, how do we go about thinking about this in a way that we don't get scared off where some customer's going to rip us off blind? We're going to end up consuming all of our, uh, spending all of our effort on these guys and ignoring the other people. So this actuarial business might help us.
1: No, it's a great question. It's one I'm, I'm trying to figure out because there are major, obviously, projects that you guys undertake. And... Well, one example, because there's not just one way to do this, but one example of dealing with that is your subscription model could cover things like what's the name of that company, Ed, that, that does the home repair. You, you, you oh, yeah. basically talked uh, about it earlier, that uh, home ready, uh, home ready. Yeah. yeah. You subscribe to a handyman and he'll you know fix the lights and the door hinges and it, you just take care of all the crappy basic maintenance you hate on your to do list on the weekend. But if you need a bigger project, like your, your bathroom floor is rotted and you need a new floor. That's a separate that's a separate charge that they do on a change order that is not covered by their subscription, and that business, which is a franchise business, roughly fifty percent of each franchisee's revenue comes from those special bigger projects that are outside of the subscription. So you can have high <coughs> hybrid models something like that to to kind of defer that risk. but my I still kind of gravitate towards the actuarial model because another thing that we know as actuaries, like when they sell life insurance, not everybody's going to die every year. So, you know, one percent of the customers die, the others 99 percent still pay their premiums and they're happy. It may be only five percent of your customers are really using your resources extensively, right? They may require one big project, maybe two, maybe but who next year, next five years, they might go you know dry and just be willing to pay. So I think there's ways to to look at it, but you kind of have to study your your business and your your revenue by customer and all of that to kind of get to kind of figure it out what hybrid would work. I, I will say
2: just to add to that that I do think that yes, there's these hybrid models that we can take, but the more and more you can can you can begin to build in to the to the subscription. The, I think the better off you are. You, you you want to get to a point where there's there there are fewer and fewer of these things that are outside, outside. The, the the subscription. I'm not saying that's going to happen right away, right? That it might not be the case, but I think you do want to get to get to that point as quickly as you can. And just like the examples earlier, when you know the, the new season of Ozark comes out, Netflix doesn't say, "Hey, a dollar more per year," right. right? They're constantly building new things in, and that's what you know. D- just think about all of the cool stuff. That has happened in the last 10 years, including the you know session you guys did yesterday. Many of you on business intelligence, right? And that's all the cool stuff that we can rarely get to, right? But if we build that into what it is that we have to offer, man, there's going to be people are going to see value in that when you begin to include it, right? And you know this is also the the tough love portion of it. Yeah, it. And you know the, the the sage people hate when I say this because it might mean fewer customers for your firm, right? There there may be some customer selection issues that we've made in the past that they they don't really belong in this new model. And you know we see a lot of firms that have moved even to value value based pricing uh, or you know KTAs that John Shaver has been doing that, that that you know the, the their number the customer count goes down, yeah, right, but profit goes up. Revenue goes up because we're focused on the people that actually truly
1: value what we do and that's really the, the, the cool thing and, and I would add one more thing to that is if you, when you look at this actuarial model what I, I get to work with a lot of different actuaries and they're very interesting people they're like you guys when you know when you see it when I see an error message on my computer, I call Ed I back away but you know Ed kind of oh this is interesting and he goes just like you guys love when there's problems with with technology actuaries are the same way when it comes to risk when they see risk they don't they don't try and say how can we how, how can we defer it or mitigate it they run towards it and say how can we turn this into a product because they know risk spells opportunity because customers will avoid risk and one thing they they taught me three things but the two important ones are there's no such thing as a bad risk there's only bad premiums so think about that for a minute at the right price you would cover somebody who used you for five at the right price. Now that might chase people away and lead to ads. You're going to have less, less customers, but the ones you do have are willing to pay that. And hence the concierge medicine and concierge doctors charge like $30,000 a year for a family of four. But when you go in, you're the only one in that office. They shut the door and that's it. They're just totally focused on you. Now the, that's obviously a different strategy than saying a direct primary care that might have 500 or even more patients. Um, the other thing is you can't price risk by the hour. There's no model to to hourly hourly bill risk, and and this is the problem with the hourly billing model. So, but if if you keep in mind that there's no such thing as a bad risk there's only bad premiums that kind of focuses you on at the right price we would cover that and i and i would suggest you you ask yourself what is the right price where we wouldn't care what a customer hell we would go out there and do it for them with you know with bells on they insured JLo's butt ron they figured well, that out yes i actually <laughs> talked to the actuary whose company insures j-lo's Backside, and I asked him. I said, "How how do you even have data for this? <laughs> where 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 you know?" And, and I am not kidding. He literally said, "We don't, oh well, we don't really have." He said, "We have some data because it's not unusual that uh, uh, insurance companies insure Hollywood stars. Uh, 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 what's her name? Uh, the, the woman with beautiful legs from the forties. Uh, the uh, Marlena Dietrich oh, okay. was insured. Her legs were insured by Lloyd's of London. That's true." Phyllis Stiller came out and said, huh, yeah, she said that. And then she said, This body? <laughs> all state. <laughs> uh, it was great line. Um, he said, so we we have some history with this, but he said, in effect, it's a performance bond. I mean, J Lo's on a tour, or she's doing a film, and, and we're doing we're we're insuring for something very, very specific. And, and so it's got a very finite date and very finite endpoint and all of that. So, but when I asked him, well, how do you come up with the premium? He literally licked his finger and went like that. And this is an actuary, they price risk for a living.
2: So, all right, Moira, you're up. We probably can get the question, maybe not the whole answer. Go, go on in.
3: No problem.
1: It, sh- it should be short. So, when you're in a subscription model, do you still go to that three pricing method?
2: So the three choices, and I, you know, I think the answer on this one is it depends. I mean, I, I, I would say my default would be yes, just because the, the the whole notion of allowing people to have choice in whatever it is that you offer them is such a powerful mechanism. Um, you know, we can we can talk a little bit more about that for those of you who don't know, but you know, this this power of three offering three choices is is, is honestly has changed a lot of people's lives. Right. Um, but I think when you move towards subscription, at least for some customers there, they would all be what I in some cases, they might start to get to the, what we have traditionally called the black card. Right. The American Express black card where we're coming up with a customized price specifically for them. Uh, and this is over time. Maybe it's not first year. Maybe it's the second year that we, we do this. But it, that it's it's going to be much more specific to them because we're going to have an individualized conversation with each one. Right, right, and
1: and I I think even Netflix offers three options, don't they? Is that that at least I'm, two? It, it, at not, least I'm pretty two. Pretty sure it's three. Okay. Um. Yeah. I, so I, I you know it's called pricers call three options Goldilocks pricing because it's so powerful. I mean it's so well established and and for a pretty simple reason that we humans like choice. Right? right. When you go buy things, you like to have choice. You don't like twenty choices because that'll paralyze you and you won't make a decision and maybe two choices isn't enough but three choices it seems to be just perfect and, and then when you do what ed says with the fourth card you know the, the american express black card by invitation only that might be a way to also to back to your question jerry about how do you how do you invite you know somebody on a subscription model that can cover anything well at, at a black card price i'll cover anything i'll be your 24/7 concierge take so, it to break yeah ah, okay so with that folks I'd like to remind if you want to contact ed or myself you can send us an email ask tsoe at verisage.com many of you send us some great emails thank you so much giving us suggestions for future shows guests topics books even Uh, and then also check out the soul of enterprise.com or we'll have full show notes and now we want to hear from our sponsors all right welcome back everybody we are here at uh the 90 minds conference the eighth annual meeting of the minds in lovely san diego And we're just going to jump to another question
3: from the audience. Andrew, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to find out, it might be relevant to the group here, Uh, some of us will team up to present a value to the customer. Do you have any other examples? You bring up all these other good examples of maybe two companies that join together to provide a value and then price it in in one of these uh, subscription models?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, in fact, we were talking about this, but beforehand, and we came up in the in the the uh, the Q and A on the town hall that we did under this notion of talking a little bit more with uh, with with Jim about it. But you know, we're we're just sitting up here thinking, you know, um, we could bundle in all of what you guys do directly to for through through to the customer as part of their sub- subscription. That could that could be game change game changing right I, I think what you want to do is make sure that you're not confusing the customer right where um you, you, and, and that's that's what it's, they're confused right now right that that is the, the biggest thing they're confused like well what's if i do a subscription and i'm a partner but that's different from my you know my subscription with the with with, with sage and how to, how to, what co- what's covered where and and you yeah you're going to have to go through a, a certain pain in that but if we can get to a model where those are unified in some way i think that would be pretty cool. As for partners doing it with partners, I hadn't really given that much thought, but it certainly could work. I mean I don't know if you'd need to, to set up a, a separate LLC to, to do it and, and make sure that the the, the, the the billing gets done through that company to split it apart or you could just agree you know one or the other and, uh, on certain percentage and split and how you would do it. But look, the least amount of confusion to a customer, in my opinion, is best. Um, how many of you have had this customer experience this week? Every time you fire up your computer, you're asked to take the net promoter question to get connected to the internet. Has this happened to any of you multiple <laughs> times? I actually filled it out this morning and said, one, you are annoying me by and reminding me that your internet sucks because it doesn't stay connected every time that you, you're asking me a net promoter question. right? As it's, and and you you have now become an intrusion on the way I work, and I would wish you for you to stop this. And that's what I put in the in the little thing. So I'll, I'll see if I get a response from that. But you know, <laughs> but it was it, you can so isn't that interesting? You can you get you can you can actually lower your net promoter score by asking for the net promoter score too often. All right. And, and
1: just on that, because I've had some experience with firms teaming up and doing things together, small firms, big firms, sometimes they don't have the expertise and they have to go out and use another firm. And just like Ed said, I think it's really important to just do, you know, make sure there's one invoice, how you divvy up the revenue between yourself, figure that out, but just make sure the customer experience is seamless So there's one invoice, one price. There's no confusion about who's doing what. Make it as seamless as possible for the customer. Because one of the things that I can't stand about a siloed, professional firm, whether it's big or small, they, they, they do tend to be siloed in some respects. It'd be like going to Nordstrom, and you're searching for something for your husband or your wife, a shirt or something, and you, you, know, you pick out the shirt, and the salesman says, oh, whoa, well, okay, nice choice. Now, I, he says, oh, I, well, I want to pick up something for my wife over here. Well, I have to close you out of this department first before I take you over there, because that'll be a separate transaction. I mean, it would just be a lousy customer experience. So make sure the customer experience is seamless.
2: I'm going to put you on the spot, Ron. Talk a little bit about what Disney did with their – it wasn't really subscription-based pricing, but where where they pulled all of the silos out – of, of,
1: of things and the food and beverage and all that stuff. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. There's a there's a brilliant case study that Disney did, uh, their pricing department. It, it, this was in Walt Disney world. Maybe some of you have gone through this where you just, you land at the airport in Orlando, your bags go right to the hotel at at Disney. So you don't even touch your bags at the airport. You get on Disney buses. So they save you from renting a car, take you right to your hotel. By the time you're checked in, your bags are already in your room. That you had meal plans. They upped the prices. Bottom line was every, all the silos in Disney, all the p and groups, the food and beverage and the different groups said, oh, my God, you're going to kill us. You're going to kill us. Or you're going to kill our P&L. And the pricer said, don't, don't worry about your P&L. That's our job because they took a portfolio approach and revenues increased something like 15% in the first year of this program, like 9% thereafter. It was far more profitable because they started from the customer experience and worked backwards. And that's not what happens when you have different silos and different groups, even inside one firm. So it's a great case study. Right.
2: And speaking of Jim, we were talking about him earlier. Give me a question, Jim.
1: Question uh, regarding pricing.
3: I mean, it's uh, perfect timing for that, I guess. Um, a lot of our customers have different setups. You know, the whole, some are all very needy, some are not very needy.
1: I mean, how would you come up with a pricing and pricing model for subscription in our type of business? And second part of that, and not not lose customers. You know, throwing it out there. I mean, we've all had that issue over the last couple of years as Sage. Um, Putting out their pricing and stuff, and scaring people, and that. How how do you how would you do it in in a business more than just software, where you're providing
2: services and stuff? Yeah, um, I'll let me just start by saying that the the caveat I would say is, and not lose customers is probably not going to happen. Right? And I, I think that's what we have to begin to become, become comfortable with—that there there are probably customers within our current customer base who are are not going to be accepting of this model, and we have to potentially make it make a decision that okay, our business is going in this direction, um, not necessarily right away, but at some point, you're either on or you're you're off, and if you don't want to buy this way, you need to go someplace else, right? And you know that's that's hard. But if it's at, if it, if it's because you're do, doing it overall much more profitably with the customers that do get it, I think that it is well worth it right um, you know it, it's it's probably healthy for the organization i I kind of look for in my organization, I was actively looking for a t- about a ten percent churn rate. I think that's that's probably about right over over time to have to have people who fall off because they you, you you should be advancing what you provide, and some customers just don't keep up. It's not that you can't service them. It's just that they're not they're not keeping up with, with you, where you need to be in the market. And I think what's worse is, and this is where you end up, with a whole bunch of F-level customers servicing F-level customers because you keep yourself down at the lowest common denominator level. And I think that's a bit of a mistake, so, though.
1: Let- okay. Yeah, and I think uh, because that's a good point about some customers are more needy than others, and I think that's why the three options gives you the flexibility. So you can kind of like analyze your your client base and 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 kind of put them into buckets, and then maybe that help will help you develop your three options. So your your least needy customers maybe you know might might pick a different option. Um, it, it it's also one of those things I think that you can test and just roll this out like we were talking about before. On an incremental basis, and maybe just do it in one specific area. This is what uh, T and Zoe talked about when we had him on the show. He talked about Deloitte in Australia and, and New Zealand, and they've d- they've gone to the subscription economy, but only for client accounting services. So, kind of like the you know outsourced bookkeeping for for some of their clients and for the small business sector. And that's all. That's the only place in that firm down there where they're doing it. But the 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 revenue from the subscriptions has finally surpassed the revenue from the billable hour in that, in that silo, in that P&L department, um, and, and so they're testing it. And I'm sure as they get more comfortable with
0: it, they'll roll it out into more areas. Yep. Just stuff. Jerry? Yes, thank you. Related to that question, could you talk some about the lessons that uh, consultants, uh, professional providers, have gone through in learning how to talk about these plans, the say annual plans of subscriptions in a way that, that does work with the customers because one thing I've found is that a lot of times I don't know what the value of our services is to the customer through their eyes. I think I know what, what they should be <laughs> But what they're saying, what really turns them on is something I didn't expect to hear in doing through it. So some of the ways that people have come to terms to, to be able to use that to do what you're talking about with, with getting started with these subscriptions. Sure. One exercise that I've done
2: with a, a number of partner organizations, specifically on that whole notion of, well, I think I know what the value is, et cetera, right, is to do this, just you know, pick pick a, a random set of your customers, five or ten of them, and just look at what they what you what they they charge over some discrete period of time, whether that's you know two years, one year, whatever. Just pick pick some discrete period of time, probably not lifetime, maybe last two or three years, take a weighted average or what have you. And then just look at that number and then multiply it by four and then ask yourself what would i have to do to motivate this customer to pay me that what would i have to do like what could i possibly offer that would make them go yep uh, that's a, i'm i'm happy with you quadrupling my price what 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 risk do you have to what, what risks do you have to solve for right and it's, it, because what I think we get stuck, Jerry, in, in this is what, this is how, this is how, what we think the value is, right? And, you know, of course, the other thing to do is, you know, ask, you know, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's just ask. But there's, you know, there, there's a tremendous amount, I think of, you know, that was what's called wallet share, right? What, what is it? So if you can get, you know, have a conversation with this, what is it that your customers are purchasing from someone else that they could be getting from you, Right. And try to come up with a uh, with a with a list of those things. And is there some commonality between a subset of your customers, and that's where you can begin to drop
1: those those things then. I do. I do have a story on this, but I don't think we have time to do it, Ed, before the break.
2: Okay. Well, we'll, we'll let's get back to you know we're going to break early. Let's just break early. So we are in charge here. Sounds good. All right. All we're right. only one minute early. That's great. I'll take. I'll. I'll say the the you know the exit stuff really slow. No. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, it, we are going to take our break now. We want to remind you the way to get a hold of Ron or me is ask T S O E at verisage.com. We do monitor the show dur- for tweets during the show. That's hashtag ask T S O E. There is the website, The Soul of Enterprise, and please, 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 please subscribe since that is the show, that, that, that is the, the format of the show that we're talking about today, whether it be on, on uh, Google Play or Amazon or, or iTunes or iHeartRadio or all, all of the or places. Spotify. Spotify, we're now on Spotify, so please subscribe to the show so you can get it downloaded in your podcast listening device of choice, but right now, a word from our sponsor and my employer, Sage.
1: Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here live at 90 Mines at their eighth annual meeting in, of the Mines in San Diego. So, it's awesome. It's great to be here. And uh, I wanted to go back to Jerry's question about uh, language and how do you explain this to customers? Uh, anybody who listens to the show knows that Ed and I are fanatical about language. We think it's really important, the words we use. And I think there's a big difference between charging for inputs, outputs, and outcomes or what we like to more technically call transformation. So real quick story, I'll try and make this fast, leave room for another question or two. But I've been in my house for like 21 years. I've been through 13 landscapers. And so not just fired the, the last one I had go online, you know, you find three landscapers in your area. I don't know, Angie's list, whatever. They seem to get good ratings. The first guy comes out, gets out of his truck, walks around your house with the clipboard. He's check. We all know what he's doing as a professional. He's, he's scoping the work. How big is this guy's lawn? How many plants has he got? I mean, now look folks, my lawn, I mean, a hungry goat could take care of my lawn. Okay. I mean, my, my whole yard is a joke, but I'm just so lazy. I hate doing this type of work. And he comes around, he walks through the front and the back, says, no problem, Ron, we'll do all this. It's for 40 bucks an hour. Well, that generates more questions than it answers. But, but more importantly, he's pricing me and explaining things to me based on inputs. So, okay, great. So the second guy comes out, gets out of his truck. He's got a clipboard, too. He's walking around, doesn't really talk to me much, asks me a few questions. But then he comes down, he says, Ron, no problem, we can handle this, we're $100 a month. And we'll do the edging and the mowing, and we'll take care of the bushes and blah, 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 blah. He's charging me based on outputs. But the third guy pulls up, gets out of his truck. He's got a clipboard too, although he's not paying much attention to it, although he's taking notes. He's asking me questions. So, Ron, tell me about yourself. What do you do? I travel a lot, I speak a lot, I consult a lot. So, you're not home a lot. He says, I I take it from our phone call that you don't really like yard work. You're not Martha Stewart. No, I hate yard work. It bores me. I don't want to think about my yard, I don't want to have to look at my yard. Can I ask you why you're changing your landscaper? Because every time I'm here and he's here, which happens about once every Halley's Comet, I have to go out and point out, why is the sprinkler dead? Why is the sprinkler doesn't work? This plant is dead. Why why do I have to point out? He's here every week. He says, yeah, that can be frustrating. So he's carrying on this conversation with me. He gets to the end. He says, listen, he says, we can handle this. He says, no problem, and he said, not only will we give you different plants and shrubbery for the different seasons, not only will we treat your tree chemically so it doesn't drop sap and crap on your cars, he says, we'll give you the best curbside appeal in the neighborhood. We're $300 a month. Which which one do I hire, folks? I hire the middle one because the third one is a figure of my imagination. He doesn't exist. The third one is a unicorn. No, there's not a landscaper that has ever used that language with me, um, and and it's frustrating because here's here's the whole here's the whole moral of this story. And it is a true story. It comes from our colleague Tim Williams. Tim Williams, Williams yeah. Um, I, I, I shamefully pilfered it, but uh, the the moral is. If I, if that third landscaper did come to me, I would gladly pay $300 a month, which is about three times what I'm paying, and I'd be a happier customer. It's not Our customers are not price sensitive or price conscious. They're value conscious. If they see the value, they'll pay for it. And the way we communicate that value is through the transformation. You're going to have the best curbside appeal in the neighborhood. Now, I promise you, in your business, you what is the best curbside appeal for that customer? They've got it. You've just got to ask the questions to figure it out. And it's going to be individual
2: to each of those, those customers, hence back to that conversation, right? So, but you yeah. know, show up with your clipboard. Here's the really cool stuff. There's, I don't know, what, 8,000 years of experience in this room if we added it all up, right, some absurd amount. There's not much you haven't seen, right? Not much you haven't seen. And you know you can you can begin to build all of those experiences in to every single engagement. And say here are these are some of the things that frustrate you, and and begin to ask those questions, right? And a lot of them don't, don't want to think about it, right? The, one of the, the the questions that I uh, get, and this sort of came up a little bit, is well, you know, what if what if we get this this particular customer that just calls us all the time, every like every you know every five minutes, right? And here's my response to that they. They won't. You know, they got better things to do I right. day to tell you this, but they, they, they actually want to run their business, not talk to you. Right. So there's about a thousand other things that they would rather do than call you up every five minutes. Right. So I think we have to take that into account. And yes, there's probably a lot broken at some of their sites right now. Right? and one of the first things that you're going to have to do is come up with some kind of and we've talked about this for years a standardized punch list or checklist where you go in and say let's make sure that this th- this tune-up is in place let's make sure that you know sub ledger is balanced to tie to the general ledger let's make sure that there's some kind of a cadence on backup and restore right Let- let's make sure that we can do that make sure that there's a- a- ability to-, to optimize the database in some way you know th- all of the stuff that you could do make sure that that's part of the initial that initial service that you Come in, that would probably also lead to more off one-off work, right? I mean, this has been stuff we've talked about for years. This is nothing new, but I think what's new about it is introducing it as part of the subscription. That's what's new, and I think that's going to be pretty cool all right Therese, come on in
1: yeah i just wanted to one thank wayne schultz for spending a lot of time with me last night talking about this sort of stuff and i told him you know i had a customer and i asked him you know you pay me whatever i charge but wouldn't you like to just have a monthly fee and i'll do all your reports and everything and he said well no i'm really happy i don't have any complaints with your billing and i said what do i say to him wayne and he said just tell him We don't do this anymore. You know, (laughs) we don't feel like this anymore. This is your choice and you can either do it or not. So and, you know, you said, will we lose customers? And we just talked about this at the table. Yeah, I probably will. But as you mentioned this morning, you do kind of sink to the lowest level and you shouldn't be. So and I also wanted to point out this guy has a doctor with a VIP program.
0: So I think that's really cool.
1: So, yeah, very cool. Five years ago,
2: you started
3: this
2: we can't, you. We, can't you. we can't hear you. We can't hear you. You got to get up. I got to right? Yeah, my name is Kevin. Uh-huh. I was just commenting this pricing model. I'm not sure if it originated in the medical industry, um, but seems to be, let's say, expanding and overlapping into other industries as well. And it's here to stay. I think there's going to be a hybrid. There's never a Perfect blend of anything that fits every situation, but um, it's definitely here to stay. Now we just need to have trusted partners who truly collaborate and follow through and do what we agree we're going to do together. Amen. Well said. All right, great. That's super. We've got about two minutes left for Inorana. I want you to just quickly tell the Dan Morris story about the
1: last customer that he had that was billing by the hour. Oh, God. I've got the greatest email from one of our colleagues, Dan Morris. He's a CPA in Silicon Valley, and he sent an email to the last customer that he kept on hourly billing because the Guy just insisted. No, I don't want anything to do with this fixed price. I'm happy to have you bill me by the hour. Blah blah blah. The way it's always been. Blah blah blah. And Dan let him do it. He, he carved out an exception for this guy. By the way, the best way to tell customers is just say this is corporate policy. No, <laughs> and, and then they. It's like fighting city hall. Nobody wants to do that. Um, but so so this guy has a meeting in Dan's firm. And then they send them a bill for the hours, and, and the guy sends a, a letter to Dan, an email, and says, Dan, I want a credit memo for $200. I don't think I was in your office for two and a half hours. I think I was only in there for an hour and a half. I've got this email, and I'm happy that if you email me, I'll send it to you. Dan writes this email back to this guy, his response, and he BCCs me. And he says, thank you. We're in receipt of your email requesting a $200 credit memo, blah, blah, blah. He says, this is precisely why we don't bill by the hour anymore because then I get caught up tracking time and looking at the clock rather than trying to figure out how to help you achieve your dreams. He says, and I guess I'm just way too old and way too talented for that. And I, I read that and said, Oh my God, this is excellent. It was just, it's the greatest email I've ever seen. And so. the guy backed down it, and, and the guy backed down and he actually did switch and he's still a customer. Not with Dan though. Dan had to sh- shove him off to his partner, but
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> they didn't get along. So, but well, while we have a few minutes left, I
2: just want to make sure to thank a couple of people. Uh, Moira, first of all, for getting this set up and all of the work that you've done, not only on this conference, but uh, on this particular thing Thanks. here. So thank you. Um, jerry and jim who both asked questions and the rest of the board here at 90 minds for for taking a risk on this i know this is kind of a little little risky adventure to say well we're gonna have a radio show at the conference okay so i hope you guys uh, found it val- valuable and and interesting ron anything else do you wanted to to add on this no so. thanks for having us folks this, this
1: was great this was a lot of fun thank you
2: all right well ron this is our traditional closing what do we got coming up next week do you know that's Free Rider
1: Friday. It is right.
2: Free Rider Friday. Free Rider Friday, by the way, folks, is where we just kind of free ride on the news. We take the week off and just look at news stories and stuff, and we don't have to do any show preparation, so it's awesome, right? And then we just talk about different things that are coming into our, whether it's related to the industry or sometimes it's politics or whatever, but we just do, it's a lot of fun to do that once and, a month. And
1: have, we have no idea what each other is going to talk about because we don't share it in advance like we normally do on a regular show that is usually just one topic like this that we dive deep on. All right. Um, Awesome, Ron. Well,
2: I guess I'll see you in 167 hours. Sounds good. Thanks, Ed. Uh...
1: This has been the Soul of Enterprise, business and the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please check out our show notes at thesoulofenterprise.com. And also, you can contact Ed and myself at asktsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Thank you, 90 Minds. Thank you, San Diego. Have a great weekend.